You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, episode 17. Don't have a title yet. I had a title set up and then Samton went and ruined it. But boys, I've got some good guests for you to try and to try and dissect that crazy game against Southampton. Firstly, I'm joined by one of the most I'd say one of the funniest and most sarcastic accounts on Twitter. It is Connark. How are we doing, man? Hello, Nick. I'm glad to be here and not really glad right now <laughs> as I haven't really collected my thoughts even after that that shambolic <laughs> performance but uh, yeah Fair enough, fair enough Connarch is a writer for all things Chelsea and SW6 Daily so make sure you check him out there and I'm also joined by Andrew better known as Carefree Chorizo he is a member of Worldwide Chelsea Podcast and is a pineapple on pizza enthusiast how are we doing man? <laughs> That is absolutely correct. No, it's a it's a pleasure to be here, Nick. Um, yeah, I, I echo everything that Conarch said. Uh, it is it's always tough um, to collect yourself, especially after a late equalizer like that. Um, fortunately, I think there were some positives uh, in the game, especially going forward, that uh, I'll try to cling to and and not perpetuate too much negativity today. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm I'm ready to get into it. All right, boys. Well, I guess start with the starting lineups. Obviously, Mendy was out. Kepa came back in. Thiago Silva was out. Andres Christensen came in, and then Mason Mount started on the right wing. And the first start for Christian Pulisic as well, which meant Timo Werner was restored up top. Um, and to be fair, those first, I'd say that first 15 minutes, that was basically just like an open-end, like end-to-end basketball-type game, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Southampton had an early chance. We had chances. But uh, we did take the lead. 
brilliant through ball by Ben Shearwell. Timo Werner sort of steps over it, dummies it, and then just, I mean, what more can you say, really? He takes on about five or six defenders, just coolly, coolly gets past them and slots into the bottom corner. And then that was the perfect start, wasn't it? And how good was it, Connacht, to see Timo Werner get off the mark in Chelsea Blue in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, so I was kind of feeling before the game that today might be the day that we can see Timo Werner get his first goal because it was expected that it start up top, which it did. And then uh, when the match started, I think from the first minute, right from the off, we were playing really well. Uh, even they, they had a few chances, but uh, apart from that, I think we, we were playing really, really good fluid football. And Timo Werner's goal was something else because, you know, he, he did it all himself. Like, uh, he, that, that dummy to beat his man was brilliant. He paced it through and just, you know, beat two men and just slotted it home. It was a brilliant, brilliant number nine's goal, I think. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Uh, and then shortly after, Jorginho threw ball over the top. And, I mean, Timo Werner, you know, the, the work he puts in, you know, he chips the ball over McCarthy, holds the defenders off, heads home, 2-0. And Andrew, at that point, we're thinking, happy days. This could be, who knows, this could be a repeat of Palace. This could be a 4 or 5-0. It, it, it's exactly right. I think uh, I think the Palace fixture gave us um, a little bit of maybe inflated confidence in the team's capacity to keep a clean sheet. Uh, because I, I, I don't uh, I don't think that Palace is, you know, uh, something to wag a finger at, especially going forward. Um, so the second Timo goal was incredibly clinical. I thought the, the movement that he had to get into that space was phenomenal to begin with. Um, and then the, the finish was just incredibly tidy. I mean, to weigh a chip like that uh, with the keeper rushing off his line so quickly, uh, I was just incredibly impressed by that. And it's, it's funny, I was scouring the depths of um, the Fantasy Premier League subreddit uh, yesterday evening, trying to kind of refine my team. And I saw some comments about Kai Havertz and Timo Werner over the international break and how that form wouldn't translate to the Premier League. Uh, they, they said basically, you know, there's, there's not defending like that. There's not shambolic goalkeeping like that in the Premier League. So, you know, we, we will see them blank again. And then I saw a comment that's compared Timo Werner to the German Alvaro Morata. And that galvanized me to captain him. And I almost triple captained him as well. Uh, so, yeah, 2-0 up. Uh, I would have thought that we were strolling at that point. But, uh, you know, you, you just can't discount the... Uh, the weight of individual errors and and that's decided a lot of matches for us so far this season. Yep, yep, 2-0 and cruising and then just before half time Kai Havertz gets dispossessed in a dangerous area. Southampton event clinical through ball to wings who rounds Kepper and it's 2-1 and that brilliant first half we've had you just going in at half time very very nervy. Um second half begins and then it, to be fair, it's Southampton on the front foot, really. And then, I, um, how do you explain that second goal we conceded? I'll, I'll go to you this, Andrew, because I'll be honest, that was, if you wanted to sort of sum up a goal to concede, that sort of summed up the defensive issues of Frank Lampard's just tenure at Chelsea as a whole, that would be it. 
there was just so much wrong. It was just comedy defending. And it, to be honest, if we were like 4-0 up, I might have just laughed. But it, all of a sudden, that made it too... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was just a comedy of errors. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's very easy for us to prescribe 100% of the blame to Kepa um, on those types of goals. I, I actually thought Kepa was well to go off of his line. Um, obviously, he could have made himself bigger and hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, but re really, I, I think the majority of blame has to go to Kurt Zuma there. Um, I am such a proponent of... Fukayo Tamori has an option over uh, Andreas Christensen to partner Zuma in the absence of Thiago Silva. I think that the fact that we weren't able to secure a loan for him this season, uh, the fact that he's fallen below Christensen on the pecking order is underwhelming. So I think, you know, we've seen Fukayo uh, catch up to those players where, where Kurt Zuma, uh, you know, someone told me that he's a perennial ball watcher, which is true. And sometimes you can, compensate for that with pace and I think Tamori is a, a great testament to that but really you know the these center backs need to understand both Reese James and, and Ben Chilwell are going to go on marauding runs and they they offer a lot going forward so so it's absolutely warranted um, that that Zuma needs to slide and cover uh, for Ben Chilwell in that instance and you know everything that happened beyond that it was a comedy of errors. The the ricochets that happened, you know, just this this ball moving at what felt like slow motion right in the mouth of the goal. Um, it, it it really is a, a thirty second synopsis of of Chelsea's defensive woes this season. Um, but really, my my big takeaway there, and I I know that it was Zuma's. He was the one who was culpable for that goal. Uh, but as a center back pairing, I, I would have loved to have seen. Fukayo Tomori uh, with with Kurt Zuma today but yeah unfortunate to concede and uh, I really that that was kind of heart in my throat moment where I I think we lost the plot completely there yep but then saying that Connor we had a brilliant response two minutes later we were free to up again Timo Werner assisted Kai Havertz to get off the mark with his first Chelsea goal and I mean as I said I think today just sort of sums up Chelsea under Frank Lampard. Brilliant, brilliant going forward, calamitous at the back. You you agree on that, Connacht? You know, the, the fact that how easy it looked for us going forward at times, but just how shambolic and how open we looked every time they attacked. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say because uh, in every game we have played this season, or even last season for that matter, most of the games, uh, the story has been the same. That you know, we're great going forward. Either we play really well for 30 minutes and then back off, or we just really don't, never never pick up. And then suddenly we pick up in the late stages. Uh, today was the same. Uh, we played well early on. And then after that first goal, I think we started, I think it was after the first goal that we started getting bogged down. Because, uh, you know, after that first goal, even in the first half, in the last few minutes, we never really got out of uh, that zone. And I think it was really important for us to go into halftime with a 2-0 lead, uh, which we didn't. Again, another individual mistake uh, leading to a goal. And the second goal kind of uh, really rattled us. Even though we scored uh, and took the lead after that really quickly, 
uh, I'm really happy to see Kai Havertz get his first goal, first league goal, by the way, uh, and all that. But then again, we we were completely rattled after that second goal. And in the second half, uh, I never really saw us getting away with a win, if I may say so. Even after the third goal, because you know we were not organized enough in the second half. We were all over the place. Even Angolo Kante, I think every time he he plays, I think this season he's been really roaming, sort of been the roaming midfielder. And he hasn't really stayed in position. Today again, I thought the same thing happened. Uh, so just, just comedy of errors all around, as Andrew said. I don't know what happened. Once again, another recurring theme this season. I, I read an interesting uh, thing today. Like I never realized that we've been so bad. But after the FA Cup final, if you count uh, the preseason friendly, then we've lost. We've won only three out of those ten games that we've played. That, that's that kind of puts things into perspective. I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we sort of touched on it, you know, I think I'm sort of mentioning it. I don't think Chelsea necessarily have really got going since Project Restart. I think there's been glimpses, but, you know, there's not been a sustained period of form, really. It's sort of, you know, I think a lot of the time individual brilliance has also bailed us out of some difficult situations. But, you know, the game went on, and I'll just add this now, right? As a UK viewer, I had to pay 15 quid if I wanted to watch it on box office. So I did not. So I resorted to a dodgy stream. The issue you get when you watch a dodgy stream is sometimes that it doesn't go to plan. So from the last, from after Havertz's goal, I'll be honest, boys, my knowledge of that game is pretty poor other than listening on the Fifth Stand app. So I'll give it to you, Andrew. Explain to me that late equaliser for Southampton. Just, just explain it to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I have frogs in my throat every time that we can see it a set piece within 40 yards of our goal. Um, we do not have a center back that can grab the other center back by the scruff of his neck and, and put him into position and, and, and force him to mark. You know, no one's shouting at each other. Um, we, we saw against Brighton, we saw against Liverpool, players pop up back post, um, consistently unmarked with uh, against us in extremely dangerous positions. Uh, I have to say again, um, you know, fair criticism to Zuma on the equalizer and then the second equalizer. Uh, Reese James, you know, it, it was a little bit of a light foul, but it, it absolutely was a foul. He, um, you know, he, he was done by a little bit of a, a drop of the shoulder and a, and a subtle kind of faint. And uh, we never should have conceded the free kick there. And, you know what more can you say when when we give when we concede those set pieces i uh i didn't expect anything more and honestly were it not for another zuma intervention late in the match again uh just like what we saw against palace after the restart last season uh we wouldn't have gotten a point from this match so i can't expect any less from us on set piece defending uh, I don't know what has to happen for that to be rectified. Uh, I can't tell you that it, it would have been better with a different center back pairing either. Um, it is just, uh, it's tough. It was, you know, it was a glancing deflection off of a Walcott um, attempt. And I, I think it was Vestigard that 
that got the nick on it. And, uh, you know, it's a moot point. It's, it, we just, we expected to concede something from that set piece, or at least I did. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. So I, I really can't dissect it any more than that. Yeah, fair enough. Connor, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think uh, he summed it up well, but I don't know. Uh, even every time we play, I think we see a theme. We either concede on set pieces or it's individual mistakes. I think there has to come a time when you ask the question, uh, how, how can you rectify these things? Like, it, it can't be that it can never be rectified. Like, we've changed so much personnel. Uh, we haven't in defense, but still we have. And as a unit, we should be defending better. And I don't know how these things keep happening every game. Uh, it's just baffling, you know, how we keep making the same errors over and over again. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'll go on, I guess, to some Twitter questions for you guys. Um, first one is, Connie, you saw mentioned individual mistakes. I'll give this one to you, Andrew. How do we get rid of individual mistakes? I mean, that's that's the million-dollar question, right? That would probably have more impact than the um, entirety of our signings over the summer. I uh, I know there was a lot of excitement around us signing uh, Anthony Barry um, from, from Wigan, I believe. And it, it looked like we had rectified a little bit defensively, uh, at least in the, the first few weeks. But, you know, what, what I struggle with is it doesn't seem like there is a theme or a philosophy that we are practicing and training. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really seen that much improvement. And obviously, look, there, there are some individual errors you look at, like the, the Martinelli, the infamous winning quote-unquote goal that Arsenal scored last year when Golo Conte slipped, Thiago Silva slipping this season as well. You know, those, those errors um, are more anomalous. But I think what's frustrating for me is just defensive shape and um, just a, a lack of, of set-piece marking philosophy. And the, the Kai Havertz mistake, you know, as brilliant as he was uh, this match and over the international break, we can't be toying around with the ball in that area. I think the center backs need to play conservatively. Unfortunately, when Kepa's in goal, they, they need to be cognizant that, you know, let's, let's not pass along the back. Let's not play cheeky. Let's not overcomplicate things because why create a chance that we have a high probability of conceding a goal from. And Kai Havertz has to have that same mentality sitting in front of the back line as well. Uh, so I think we were a little bit haphazard and that's a, that's a trade off of, um, you know, you want that fluidity and that, that free flowing football where you're, you're doing a lot of improvisational movement. I, I think, uh, I, I think we just need to iron that out. And I really don't have a, an answer for, you know, what they can focus on in training at this point, but it, it's gotta, it's gotta change or otherwise we're going to be fighting for a top four spot on the final day, uh, at best in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Connor, two individual errors today. Two individual errors against Liverpool. Uh, and not an individual error against Brian, but, you know, we've seen individual errors cost us badly this, this, you know, this season a lot. 
but to be fair, Frank still persists with certain, you know, with certain players. And on that note, do you think perhaps do you think Lampard's tactics perhaps should be questioned after today's game? Because for the third, you know, we were in control of that game, and then all of a sudden, you know, we could easily have lost that at the end. Yeah. So uh, I've been I've been a huge uh, protector of Lampard, if you can say. Uh, I've been saying that uh, his tactics and the thing that's uh, holding us back. I've been saying that uh, it's the individual errors, like Lampard himself keeps emphasizing. But then again, who picks those players? It's Lampard. So I think even the systems, you know, we keep chopping and changing every time. I know there are injury problems and other factors that need to be taken into consideration. But, you know, at some point, there has to come a time when we have a consistent 11. We have some sort of consistency in the way we play. And uh, I haven't seen it yet. So it's it's a bit of a concern. But uh, yeah, there are positives again. Uh, but uh, positives are that uh, we seem to be still gelling together. And I think there's, it'll still take a little bit of time. I know it's hard to have patience right now. After every game, we keep repeating the same things that we need to be positive, we need to be positive, uh, we need to uh, keep backing Lampard. Uh, it gets tough for some people, but I think uh, we do have a sense of direction. It's just that uh, Lampard still, uh, no disrespect meant, but he's still a novice and he's still learning himself. So it might still take a longer time than we expected to get us back up and challenging for trophies again. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, give this one to sort of our popular food, food man on Twitter. Andrew, relate today's <laughs> match to a food combo. So this is, this is the question that I was uh, probably marinating on for the longest time because that is how I conceptualize some of these things and, and my frustrations with this match. Um, I think when I'm making this analogy, you have to emphasize the wonderful quality that we have um, going forward and, and that being juxtaposed against a just absolutely shambolic back line. So the way that I would compare this to a food or a food experience is, you know, I, I got this amazing condiment that I just purchased. It's this phenomenal ketchup that has this um a little bit of like serrano heat to it there's something sweet in it it is one of the most amazing condiments that i've ever had and i think about this condiment being our our front line our front four just delectable and it's like having your oven break halfway through baking chips to eat that on so it is like a perfect condiment with soggy chips is uh is what i would uh, uh compare this to unfortunately fair enough that's a cracking cracking analogy <laughs> <laughs> i have final question on this uh you know do you think playing kante in an advanced position increases our defensive frailties i'll start you off with this one connock uh first of all i don't think uh involo kante is someone that can be restricted to a defensive midfield position. Uh, 
uh, he's he's not someone who can hold his ground and stay at one place and defend shield the defense i don't think he can do that even in a pipe and a double pivot which uh, is arguably where he's best at i do think he needs a defensive partner uh, but then again i don't think that it's that difficult to you know have some kind of discipline you know if you if you are picking kante and you're telling him that go uh, you have freedom go and do your thing i don't think that will work because you know we we don't have a defensive minded fielder so if we take kante out of the side then we are left with jorginho and kovacic playing that pivot and that is a, a recipe for disaster again so it's it's the same thing every time you know uh, there's lack of communication between i think the the main problem with all these different combinations that we are putting out is that there is a lack of communication there is also a lack of understanding they have not been played together enough to know what the other is going to do even even with the full backs you know because we keep changing full backs every week so they don't know when to when the full back is going to bomb forward they are going to push themselves back and defend uh, and conte kovacic jorginho neither of those three do those things you know i think the best at holding his position is jorginho but then again if he does hold his position it's of fairly of any use because of his lack of athleticism so conte yeah i don't think playing him in, a, in an advanced position helps us as a team but i don't know if we've got any choice right now yeah do you think do you think conan that we just basically you know to play sort of a 4231 which is what lamps wants to play it's not perhaps feasible given the fact we don't actually really have a proper holding midfield uh it's a weird one actually because uh, if if we see the new signings and the people we've shipped out it indicates to the fact that we want to play 4231 but then again we don't have the personnel to execute it correctly then i don't know where the planning was because if we were going to shift back to 433 and if we didn't have uh like in good enough personnel to play a 4231 then i don't understand why ross barkley and ruben loftus cheek were sent out because then one of them would definitely be more useful but yeah i think reverting back to a 433 right now seems like a good suggestion because i see none of these double pivots working out but then again another question arises is what would we do about havertz because his best position is number 10 he prefers to play there he's playing well there then again we'll have to ship him out to the right then mount gets stopped which i can't see happening so it's a weird one i don't know how to uh, it's it's really confusing the way we i i think it's a lack of a proper plan because last season towards the end of the season we saw uh consistently for a few games that we were playing 433 with a defensive midfielder and attacking eights and then we suddenly stopped playing that and now we are again on to 4231 that's not working so we'll again change formation that's not going to work 
Fair enough, fair enough. Um, obviously, I'll, I'll bring Andrew on this also. We saw Mateo Kovacic not in the squad today mm-hmm. at all. Um, and we've sort of seen in the, you know, he came off the bench against Palace last week. You know, he was arguably, well, he won player of the year last year. And although, you know, he is very popular amongst sort of the fan base on Twitter, albeit even if I'm not necessarily his biggest fan as much as others. But do you think playing the 4 2 3 1 sort of means no place for Kovacic in the 11? Because as sort of Connacht's touched upon, there's not really a a happy happy medium anywhere, is there? Mm-hmm. No, I, it, that's exactly right. And, and everything that Connacht said about um, the, the pros and cons of a 4-3-3 versus a 4-2-3-1 is displacing a dedicated pivot with um, no dedicated... Um, no dedicated 10. So your creativity in a 4-2-3-1 comes from Kai Havertz playing in his natural 10 role and your creativity. To his credit, uh, Jorginho has been phenomenal uh, as a partner with N'Golo Kante in the pivot recently. I know he's a very divisive player, but I'd be remiss to, to not call out how great he's been. I think uh, what Connor said about us not having a plan is really interesting because you think about it, we <laughs> we made signings for two or three different systems essentially over the summer, someone like Kai Havertz, you know, we can talk about his versatility all we want, but I, I don't want to see Kai Havertz play at a, as a right winger. And I, I don't think that he'll be great as a eight. I'm sure he's serviceable just like in Golo Kante. They are world-class players. So they will obviously excel in every aspect of their game, you know, including going forward, you know, and Golo Kante might have a better shot than some dedicated eight, you know, central midfielders. But it, I'm still a proponent of a 4-2-3-1. I do love Mateo Kovacic. I, I, you know, you always associate his press resistance with him. And uh, I, I do still think that that brings a massive value to the side, especially in transition. And when we want thoughtful, uh, possession-based um, offense, that Kovacic really helps. Um but at the same time, I'm, I'm just as happy with Jorginho playing in a, a two-man pivot recently. I think he's, uh, he's done a great job of, of showing that he has the, the quality and the aptitude to be able to hold that role with N'Golo Kante. Um, so a 4-3-3 has looked decent for us recently, but I, I still think that putting Kai Havertz as a dedicated 10 and the more that we see from him you know, really reinforces the idea that a 4-2-3-1 would be my system moving forward as well. And who occupies that pivot uh, is is kind of the biggest debate there. Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, in my opinion, if we go 4-3-3, we just lose that one extra attacking player, really. That's, mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the difference. And we, you know, potentially nullified, arguably, maybe one of our most creative players in Kai Havertz. So it is a tricky one. And I think ultimately, you know, there were the links. I don't, you know, don't want to bang on about it, but there were the links... To Declan Rice, mm-hmm. our, do you think you know? Obviously, the transfer window we got was beyond our expectations, really, and we were benefited, you know, by the fact that other clubs were affected by by COVID, and you know weren't able to spend. But do you think you know perhaps that that DM position was uh, was a well, obviously a big miss, but arguably perhaps one of the more key positions to try and address. Uh, uh... Yes, I think it was an important position because uh, I, when I initially started thinking about what positions we need to recruit in, I think 
uh, a lot of people told me that it's the attacking positions that we need reinforcements and in the defense i think a lot of people said we need a center back we need a left back we did need a center back and a left back but i think a goalkeeper and a defensive midfielder were my personal priorities because the problems we had last season were again we can all put it down to center backs eventually but i don't think they are that bad to be honest i see perzuma is a great great center back fikayo tomori is great i think kristensen is even quite good uh, rudiger like i don't like rudiger that much but even even him as a fourth choice center back center back i don't think he is very bad uh, i think the priority ought to have been a defensive midfielder because we lack someone to shield the defense it's quite simple that we we saw a lot of times last season i said the same things over and over again that the problems we had were as a unit individual errors aside i think the individual errors even from the center backs were also forced and sometimes down to the fact that we were down to bare bones in the midfield sometimes like if if a opposition was counter attacking and we had all our players up front then we just had two center backs who were somewhere near the halfway line so we were bound to make mistakes they were under pressure and we had uh, i'd say an incompetent keeper at the back so they didn't didn't trust him either so people said that kepa needed a season with some good solid center backs i think it was the other way around i think the center backs needed a good proper season with a good goalkeeper and a good defensive midfielder guarding them uh however i do think that after signing seven six seven players i don't think we can complain about recruitment because even with the players we have at our disposal these are not great performances and i think we should be doing better even without uh, a declan rice or whatever yeah yeah no no i agree with you completely it's been it's so it's i mean that we've played what five six games five games now and arguably we've sort of only had one real stand out performance which was crystal palace and that to be honest that was more just a brilliant second 45 whereas brighton we weren't necessarily great liverpool was just meh um west brom please said about that game the better really so it is sort of i guess frustrating one positive i do want to take and i'll give it on to andrew is we do look pretty we do look a lot better going forward and a lot more ruthless and clinical going forward than we did last season you agree on that absolutely yeah uh there is a philosophy and a point of attack uh, especially when when we do opt for a 4231 um i there was a lot of skepticism about um the vein of form that havertz and werner hit over the international break so i was you know rightly wary of you know are are they are we going to become a banter club and they're just going to end up blanking for the next you know five game weeks uh, fortunately that wasn't the case i also think there's been a marked improvement since the beginning of the season you know uh, you compare even the brighton match to from an offensive standpoint at the very least to what we saw today uh, we are really starting to see some chemistry uh, bind between that front four and 
it is an exciting prospect that this is the first time that we've seen what, you know, I think is unequivocally our, our top front four um, at the end of this match when Hakeem Ziyech was substituted on. So I do think that we will improve offensively as well. Um, but it, it's a moot point when it takes a single second and a single mental lapse to negate, you know, a, a beautiful move, a beautiful Timo Werner goal. Um, so yeah, it, it, on a positive note, we have improved since, uh, since the previous season's restart and we have improved in my eyes since the beginning of this season as well. Um, so again, this is the first match where we've had a fully fit front four, even with Christian Pulisic getting the start. So we have a lot to look forward to um, in terms of a spectacle, but you just, you can't, uh, you can't understate how poor we are defensively and uh, it'll, it'll always offset how beautiful we look going forward. Yeah. Yeah. In five Premier League games this season, we've scored three or more goals four times and we've only won two of the games. So that sort of tells the tale as well. One final stat. We are yet to keep back-to-back clean sheets in the Premier League under Frank Lampard. Um, just before we wrap this episode up, boys, uh, we've got Champions League starts on Tuesday night against Sevilla. They lost 1-0, I think, to Granada today. And they might be without Kunkwande, or however you say his name, due to a due to uh, COVID. Um, Champions League starts, arguably our most difficult opponent first up. Will we get off to a winning start? I'll start with you, Connor. Will we win on Tuesday night? Uh, I'd like to say yes, but uh, you can never know with this team. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope we do win because we have seen a lot of positives today as well as the negatives. But I think if we put in a good performance, if if we do, if we do what we did today for a consistent amount of time for like sixty minutes or seventy minutes at least. And I think we'll we'll go in with a with a good good win uh, and start the group off in a good way. Fair enough, Andrew. Will we get that win on Tuesday night? Yes. If Mendy and Thiago Silva are both fit, we should absolutely get three points from that match. I understand Sevilla is a great team. Uh, Kunde is also a great player as well. Um, but I I have to say we have a phenomenal group. And I think our our team and Frank Lampard need to understand um, that this is an absolute blessing for us. And if we start um, conceding that it's okay to drop points against Sevilla just because they're the pot one side in our group, if we end up conceding goals to Lille or the smaller sides in the group, um, you know that that logic is is poor. And that's uh, in my eyes the the hallmark of a, of a smaller club that doesn't really have European aspirations. So uh, too long, didn't read, absolutely think we should get three points, especially if we have uh, Mendy and Silva returning to the lineup. Nice one. Nice one, boys. Thanks for coming on. That wraps up this episode of that Chelsea podcast. Before we go, these two guys are brilliant on Twitter. So make sure you drop them a follow. Connor, drop your Twitter at so the people can get in contact with you. Yes, my dad is Konar Kantani. Uh, it's, uh, I know it's a weird spelling, but yeah, find it. <laughs> <laughs> find it. <laughs> He's worth your time, Jesse. And finally, Andrew, drop your Twitter at so the people of Twitter can follow you if they're not following you already for, you know, some 
great, just great, you know, humor as well. And also some <laughs> interesting food opinions. I uh, no, I appreciate it. So yeah, um, the Twitter handle is carefree chorizo and uh, you can just command F the pineapple and pizza emoji and you should be able to find me fighting the good fight uh, in the trenches out there. So yeah, I, I really appreciate the time, Nick, as well. Fair enough, fair enough. One corner, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. <laughs> Definitely. Break my heart. I was having such a good time. <laughs> and on that note, that ends this episode of That Chelsea Podcast. Make sure you drop us a follow on Twitter at That Chelsea Pod. And until the next episode, everybody, keep blue flag flying high. Nice one, boys. Oh, oh perfect. Um, yeah. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.